Hello, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping family businesses thrive. My name is Ross Hayworth, and each week I will share insights and experiences to help you to navigate the complexities that can come from being in business with your family. You will also hear directly from family businesses who have been kind enough to share their own stories. As ever, I am grateful for the support of my good friends over at the Institute for Family Business. The IFB support family businesses in overcoming their challenges and help them build lasting legacies, something that we have a shared passion for. You can find out more about their work by heading over to ifb.org.uk. Right, let's get on with this week's show. Well, hello and welcome to this week's show. And I am very happy to be joined by Fiona Graham, who is the External Affairs and Policy Director at the Institute for Family Business. Regular listeners to the show will recognise Fiona from previous episodes. But Fiona, firstly, welcome to the show. And secondly, if you could just give those in the audience who may not have heard our previous chats a bit of an overview of who you are, what role you are um, performing at the Institute for Family Business. Hi Russ, thank you for having me back and hello to all you for your listeners. As you said, I'm the Director of External Affairs and Policy at the Institute for Family Business. And essentially what that means is I ensure that family businesses have a voice within government and lead on our work, working with government and politicians of all across the spectrum to make sure that the family business sector is um, well understood in terms of the contribution that it makes but also in terms of specific needs that family businesses have and how they can be better supported and particularly at a time like this what specific needs they have but that also means that I lead on our work around inheritance tax and taxation generally our work with the office for tax simplification at the moment on capital gains all of our work around historic defined benefit pension schemes around employment and corporate governance, the whole the whole range of what we do. And really, we're here just to to ensure that policymakers have an understanding of what it is that makes family businesses different and then how that influences their behaviour and make sure that that's really taken into account early in the policymaking process. so That anything that comes out of government has considered the impact on family businesses and, uh, and recognises that they maybe have a different perspective and that that needs to be taken into account when making policy. Yeah, fantastic. And I think it, it's an obvious statement because obviously we, we um, both know the family business world very well, but given the uh, sheer number of family-owned businesses in the UK, and, and I know that's replicated globally, but, but a lot of times sectors are considered as to what they produce. You've got manufacturing or you've got food and drink or you've got science or leisure and and those types of things. But it's important that family-owned and family-run businesses have that voice in policymaking, isn't it? Because it's agnostic of of sector. It's the ownership model and the um, implications of those ownership models that need to be addressed as well. Yeah, and you know, I think you're absolutely right. We, as a country, tend to have quite sector-specific interventions, or we tend to think about businesses based on their size. So there's a lot of focus on small businesses or you know very large listed companies, and and sometimes those businesses in the middle fall down the gaps. I think, 
or it's about the stage of the journey that they're at. So there was obviously post the um, financial crisis, there was a lot of focus on more startups than the kind of a, more of a shift towards thinking about scale ups. So family businesses don't necessarily fit into any one of those boxes. I think it's really important that we're there to provide that perspective um, and make sure that they aren't, they aren't falling between the gaps. Because as you say, the key thing is really that, that ownership dimension and how that impacts thinking and behavior. So we know, for example, you know, family businesses are incredibly long-term in that thinking, so in their thinking. So that affects sort of how they behave. But also we know that part of their attitude to the business and passing on in a better state means that they are quite debt averse. So that has implications for how families access finance and the options available to them there. And I mentioned at the start inheritance tax. So I think we're probably the only business group that spends a lot of time thinking about inheritance tax, but for family businesses, that's a huge issue because of the ownership and because ultimately if they did have to pay a large inheritance tax charge, that would fall onto the business to have to fund that, which impacts the future investment in that business, which impacts whether they can create more jobs. And so actually, you know, that ownership is really the key dimension that drives a lot of that decision making and, and influences a lot of how kind of family businesses behave differently. And it doesn't have within the sort of policy landscape as it's set up at the moment, it doesn't have a natural place to sit. So we need to kind of keep pushing at those doors and making sure that that voice is being heard. Yeah. Uh, and I know that that keeps you very busy. And something else that would have kept you very busy is obviously we're recording this just as we we're heading into a second lockdown here in the UK. And the last time we spoke was just after we headed into lockdown for the first time here. In terms of, of perhaps some some differences or similarities, what, what are you hearing from your members at the moment as to how they're feeling in terms of how prepared they are for the next few weeks or months or hopefully there's a light at the end of the tunnel now with, with this vaccine news but how are members feeling at the moment certainly um you know i think when we went into the first lockdown back in march and we spoke then there was a lot of going into the unknown businesses didn't hadn't been through something like that before so it was incredibly difficult to get up to speed in how it was going to impact them how they were going to operate what the future months were going to look like this time I think businesses are more prepared because they've been through it before they've been dealing with this for months now they had a process around the original lockdown and then through the kind of loosening and restrictions but it is incredibly difficult you know for many businesses that we speak to they maybe had a financial buffer earlier in the year which doesn't which isn't there anymore because it's been used as the months have gone by some businesses told us right at the start that they had been stockpiling in preparation for brexit so they had lots of supplies available to them which now over the following months they have don't have any more and so those have been worn down and they haven't been able to rebuild them we obviously also still have brexit on the on the horizon <laughs> yeah so there's a challenge there on a personal level, I don't think we can underestimate how challenging this is. I know that it's something you've spoken about in previous episodes, sort of mental health impact of this crisis and that it's having on business owners and managers. That's very, very challenging. And, you know, with the run up to Christmas, there's an extra dimension there as well for hospitality businesses. 
it takes them a really long it will take them for a long time to get the necessary supplies they need in once they reopen the review date is the 2nd of December but businesses were given hospitality businesses were giving a three-week lead-up last time to reopening on the 4th of July now there just isn't going to be that three-week lead-up which means how are pubs going to get the beer that they need how are restaurants going to get the food that they need at a time of usually increased demand and when logistics companies are all running flat out as well so there are all these extra dimensions this time that mean this is still incredibly challenging yeah you know I don't want I don't want to be all doom and gloom because you know I do think businesses are very well prepared and have spent a lot of time thinking about their business but it is it is going to be really challenging and I think there is also a feeling around the communication side of this from from the government side that people don't feel that they're being businesses don't feel that maybe the communication is where it needs to be from the government in terms of going into these lockdowns but also going out mm. and and what are the 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 key markers that have to be hit for us to exit this lockdown so certainly challenging times ahead but you know positive news yesterday with with the vaccine development and i mm-hmm. think that that's the kind of you know hopefully we'll see more, more positive news in that direction soon yeah uh, and i think as well with with regards to the the exit i think we've been told that december the 2nd is is the time at which the current restrictions will end and then we'll move back to the tiered system but but without knowing really what tier systems are going to be in place in which locations it makes it doubly difficult for businesses to plan because they could go one way and say well i need to plan to get a load more stock in or food or, or drink as you say for, for the hospitality sector and then find that actually restrictions that are happening under the tier system means that they're not as able to sell that as they would want to. Or they could go the other way and go, well, there's no point in doing that because we're going into this tiered system and I won't be able to sell as much and things keep changing. And I guess what businesses are looking for, as is uh, always the case and, and perhaps is never 100% possible, but is clarity and certainty around what they're going to be emerging into when these current restrictions end. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, even even if we hadn't entered this lockdown last week, this would have been a really challenging time for businesses anyway. This, this Christmas, this winter period with sort of people not back in offices as much. So there aren't as many Christmas parties and things like that. It, it will have been very hard to judge demand anyway. Mm. But with the kind of lockdown, then that's obviously even more challenging. I think, you know, we we are not public health experts. <laughs> so it, it is a dynamic situation and business accepts that, you know, things need to happen and the government needs to adapt to the public health response as we go along but I think as you say as much clarity and as much of a kind of a forward framework as is possible is really desirable because it is very very hard to adapt and and as much clarity as possible and as as clear communication as possible is really what we're asking for. And again we we spoke back in March about the opportunity if that's the right phrase when we're talking about a a situation as as, um, serious as as COVID but for for businesses to adapt and and for human ingenuity to kind of 
come in and and demonstrate its um, power again. And have you seen that from sort of parts of your membership where, where families, businesses have been adapting and, and changing to the world that we're living in at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've seen huge amounts of adaptation right at the start. We saw, you know, people shifting to produce hand sanitizer and things like that sort of towards the national effort. We've seen businesses that maybe haven't really been online before moving online. We've seen people shifting the different sort of streams of what they do within their business to reflect the fact that we're all working more at home. Lots of us are. You know, people aren't out and about as much. That kind of we're all living quite different lives this year, and so lots of businesses have been able to reposition how they how they work, putting more of a focus maybe on the at home part of their business if they have different sections. And you know, and some of the things it's been interesting to see over this year that some of the things that people have changed within their business are things they might have thought of before. But it, there wasn't that impetus to do it. It was, you know what, we'll get round to making this change. So, Or there's maybe something on the agenda for a couple of years' time. And in some ways, this crisis has accelerated some of those changes that you maybe would have already expected. I'd, I think we've probably all become much more technologically savvy over the past seven or eight months. And I think the speed of that change of how we work for those of us who've been you know I think there's definitely people who generally work in offices and are now generally working at home there's been a big change there so those are changes we probably would have expected to see at some point over the next five years but we've seen it all over the course of a few months and that's quite incredible yeah I think Uh those businesses that are really as you say, it's kind of, it feels uncomfortable to use the word like thriving in a situation like this. But I think that those businesses that are thriving really have one thing in common and that is their sense of purpose. Uh Now it doesn't mean that businesses that are struggling don't have a strong sense of purpose because this is such a kind of a sector um, dependent crisis in some ways. Some sectors have been disproportionately impacted, but purpose is really hugely helping making businesses more resilient those that have a very clear sense of why they exist and what they're trying to achieve have been able to have quite frank discussions about the long-term future of their business and I think it's just reinforced to us something we already knew which was about how important purpose is in the business in maintaining sort of family unity I think that's really come to the fore during the past the past six months. I, I would agree, and pr- presumably for businesses that are listening who are having a tough time of it because of what's happening, which obviously is in, entirely understandable. Presumably, they're able to reach out to you to, to sort of get in touch and, and chat through how they might be able to use what your existing members have done during this time frame to to adapt and to perhaps innovate and and gain some insight and inspiration from from you guys there definitely definitely I think you know one of the amazing things about the family business sector has always been how willing families managers owners are to having conversations with their peers about 
what works for them, what doesn't work for them in quite an, an honest way. I think, you know, some of the most useful conversations are hearing f- from people about what they tried and and, and it didn't work. Yeah. But I think that openness and the, that sense of community within, you know, within the family business world is so Im- important. And, you know, we can help connect people with others around, you know, particular issues that they might be facing and, and help them from our own experience as well of what we've seen within the community. But I think that's one of the things that's really going to help the family business sector recover is the sense of community and shared learning that's always been there yeah uh, again com- completely agree with that so in in terms of uh, again what the, the ifb have been working on and, and doing over over recent months what, what what are you saying to the government at the moment about the restrictions around covid and the support available i mean again this is a changing scene because we we seem to get updates from an economic perspective on a regular basis and although we know I think we broadly know where we are until the the beginning of December that there's still a little bit of uncertainty as to how how we come out of that but what are you actually saying to, to government at the moment about that side of things? I mean you're right that we are seeing lots of changes on the economic support side it wasn't that long ago we had the Chancellor lay out his winter economic plan where he sort of spoke about what was going to happen post the furlough scheme and obviously that has now all changed again i think for us there are some really key issues around this that we're talking to the government about so one is around really a very clear need for that exit plan making sure that businesses understand what the steps are for exiting these restrictions what an advance notice of what they can expect to happen next better communication around that and then I think we also need a kind of a clearer pathway around the support that is available so last week we had the announcement from the chancellor that the furlough scheme has been um, extended until the until March next year and that's very positive news um, because that gives businesses a lot more kind of long-term visibility of what's going to be happening so that is positive and we also know that the chancellor will be announcing a review of the employer contribution side of that in January so businesses do have the ability to plan a bit further ahead with that certainty around that support now but I think I would really like to see the government putting forward a very clear plan around what the longer term support looks like if we if we do go back into a tiered regional level kind of a tiered regional scenario what support there is depending on what tier you're at because that'll give businesses a bit more certainty to know okay if we do have to close down again then it will look then our business will have to operate in this way now it's still hugely time consuming for businesses to go through all these scenarios. And I don't think that that should be underestimated, the kind of burden that there has been on business, how much time people have spent thinking through various scenarios. It's been really challenging. But I think a bit more visibility of that would also be very, very positive. I think as well, you know, again, very positive news yesterday on the vaccine. 
But I think the government really needs to use this time of this lockdown to get test and trace sorted because those sorts of things are absolutely key to us being able to operate as close to normally as is possible. And that's probably not particularly close to normal, but but it, it will hopefully be the thing that prevents future big lockdowns like this. But we're also talking to the government a lot about the economic recovery part of this, because there has been a, as well as the economic impact on businesses, which is enormous, there's been a huge amount of support made available by the government and that has been very expensive. And so there's a lot of discussion about how we as a country pay back the costs that have been incurred for that. And our message to the government around that is absolutely clear, which is you will not be able to pay the cost of the support through tax increases or cuts to spending. The way to economic recovery is growth and investment. And we need to help businesses in the first instance stabilise, I think, and for the impact that they're already kind of facing. But we really need to have a strategy longer term which supports businesses to grow, to create new jobs to replace the ones that have been lost, and then to create even more jobs going forward. I think growth is the way out of our sort of economic troubles here. Yeah, I think that's absolutely key. So we need a very supportive business environment which supports investment and helps businesses do all the things that they want to do, which is, you know, create jobs and grow and invest in new products and services and all those sorts of things. Uh That's absolutely essential. As part of that, we spoke earlier about the sort of very sectoral size specific way that government thinks about business policy. We really think mid-sized businesses are falling between the gaps there. And mid-sized businesses are hugely important to our future success, particularly as this government is very keen on levelling up, something we've all heard Uh lots of of times. (laughs) Um, But, you know, if we're going to build back better and we're going to level up all these sorts of different phrases that are out there, mid-sized businesses are essential for that because those are the businesses that are based in different regions of the UK. And they have a huge potential. People talk a lot about Germany's Mittelstand and how important that is for their kind of economic stability uh-huh. um, and success. And we have a really great opportunity in the UK to build our own version. Some people have used the phrase Brittlestand in the past. I'm not a massive fan <laughs> of it myself, but, but I like the idea behind it, which is supporting those those mid-sized businesses and those middle stand businesses that everybody talks about when they talk about business success those are family-owned businesses Mm. and I think we have a huge opportunity if we come up with a specific strategy and a specific focus within government on mid-sized businesses and how we can empower them to grow Um, because I think we're missing a trick if we don't do it you know I think generally for the leveling up building back better agenda family businesses are absolutely key I mean we know that family businesses are found all across the country we know they're found in every sector we know that family businesses display all the characteristics that we say we want to see in business which is a long-term approach which is a real kind of community focus a real care for their employees and increasingly businesses that care about sustainability and 
moving towards a greener future. I think we should have family businesses at the core of our economic recovery plan because they're not something of the past. They are Mm -hmm. absolutely something of the future. You know, let's empower them to to help us get back to where we need to be. And, you know, going forward, kind of in an even better position. Yeah, amen. Could could not agree more on on those points. And you, you mentioned about the importance of family businesses to the UK economy, and you've recently published the latest State of the Nation report, which continues to highlight some of the uh, sort of really important contributions that family business make to the the UK economy. What are some of the headlines we can we can pull from that? But as you say. Every year, this report really demonstrates how important family businesses are. They are a phrase that we like to use, the backbone of our economy. So the report this year shows that 87.6% of businesses are family owned in the UK. And they are responsible for about 14.2 million jobs. Mm -hmm. It's a huge, a huge part of our economy. And I said at the start, one of the things that I think is really important in my role is to champion the role of family businesses in our economy and sort of educate people about it because I think that people tend to think in the general population not your listeners I'm sure but in the general population and maybe even in policy circles that family businesses are something of the past that's something we used to have and not something we have now but actually they're absolutely core to our economy now and that and that's actually growing that number of jobs has grown over the past few years Mm. quite significantly and I think you know increasingly people are seeing themselves the benefit of starting a business with their family yeah there's a lot of talk about sort of do young people want to work in their family business? Well, I think, yes, the evidence shows that young people do want to work in their family business, but actually young people are also setting up businesses with their siblings or their parents or their cousins because people really value values-based businesses and that's what family businesses are. And, you know, that sense of purpose, they it gives them the opportunity to build something incredible themselves yeah. and working with the people that they love and trust and you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think that it is a really important business model for the future. And I think you touched on a a point there that I often find very interesting when I talk to people and and tell people what I do. And and when you say to people, I provide advice to family owned um, businesses, they go, well, that's that's a a nice little niche. And you go, well, hang on, (laughs) it's nearly 90% (laughs) of UK businesses and and that is is broadly replicated across the the world as well so actually we're we're helping provide advice to a very large proportion of the the businesses that are out there but it is it comes with this sort of mum and pop shop type approach to it when some of the biggest businesses in the world are family owned and family run and I think that's a misconception that is very often well very very much uh, misunderstood and I think if if people are in any doubt on on the significance they should certainly check out the 
report because it does highlight quite how important these businesses are to our economy. I think it's it's funny as well because I have the same experience as you and I tell people what I do and they can't get their head around sort of how many family businesses there are. And if, But if you think about it, we all go to our local high street or into a village and, you know, we know family businesses that work there. We all know of family businesses and yet everybody tends to assume that that must be sort of an unusual way of doing business rather than the fact that you say to them but if you're coming across them in everyday life and I think one of the things that always strikes me is is how many times during just a normal day you sort of consume a product from a family business or get a service from a family business so you know the shoes that you're wearing the bread that you're buying you know the local butchers the window cleaner the local plumber you know the person who's making and delivering your furniture it's it's everywhere (laughs) but I think people just kind of don't necessarily realize it but I think that there is an opportunity for families to talk about their family ownership as part of their marketing (laughs) because people really like buying things from family businesses they trust them you know we did some research that showed people trust family businesses much more than other businesses and I think that there is a real opportunity to kind of shout about your family familyness and your family values as part of a way of building that that sort of customer base because I think it's a real opportunity and you know we see some very large businesses using the, the fact that they're family-owned as part of their marketing strategy. So the classic example being Warburton's family bakers. Yeah. You know, it's every it's in all of their marketing um, and people really recognise and, and, and kind of respond to that. Yeah, and another great example is Timpsons as well. And the, the, yeah. the values you see them live on a day-to-day um, basis with, with everything that they do as well. Obviously, um, a much-loved brand on, on the UK high street as well. And you've seen around COVID how positively people have responded to the the Timpson approach to COVID and the way that they've spoken about how they've supported their employees. And, you know, on Twitter and, you know, not that not that Twitter is necessarily reflective of the population, (laughs) but I think in this instance it is because people were responding to James Timpson's tweets when he was saying we're going to employ, you know, we're going to pay our staff 100% of their salaries. Uh People were responding to that and saying, okay, as soon as my local Timpson's opened, I've been meaning to get, you know, my watch strap fixed or, you know, get some new buckles in my belt, (laughs) Uh whatever it might be. And people have responded to that and said, that is going to be where I go for my business. And people themselves had so many positive stories to report about that business and the positive experiences they have had. It's been really inspiring to see the way that so many businesses have responded and how people have supported them as a result there was parts of the report that had a focus on the the impact of of covid perhaps we we can just have a a sort of a whistle stop tour of of some of those and then i know there's some some other findings in there that uh, i think will be of great interest to to listeners so so quick sort of whistle stop on the covid side and then we can head on to perhaps some other um, shining lights within the the report as well. Yeah, so it's important with this report, the headline stats were produced before the impact of COVID. So it's just worth 
being aware of that some work done to try and just work out what some of the impact of COVID might be on the sector. So this was based on ONS data, which said between February and May, there's it was estimated that family firm output was likely to have declined by 30%. And obviously that was the sort of key impact of the first lockdown. Mm. But I think One of the things that was interesting around the COVID side were some findings around how many businesses had had access to support. So the number of businesses accessing furlough support was incredibly high, as it was across the general business population. But one thing that really stood out to me was the fact that 20% of family SMEs had accessed or applied for coronavirus loan support. So there were many different schemes schemes, whether that's a bounce back scheme or the coronavirus loan scheme or the coronavirus large business loan scheme. And I think that's quite a low number. I think that that possibly highlights some longer term challenges that we really need to get right when we're thinking about our longer term economic recovery plans. So one of the other findings within the report is that access to finance is still a challenge for family SMEs. Mm-hmm. And I think that that ties to the loan support side. Many businesses I spoke to said that they didn't really have existing loan arrangements. So going through that process for the first time was quite challenging um, because if you're not used to borrowing money off a bank, then going through it for the first time is harder than maybe if you're used to that process and working through it. Mm-hmm. And one of the other findings in the report is around R&D. So about 15% of family SMEs have been doing R&D over the past year but only 20% of the SMEs of the family businesses who have been doing R&D have claimed any of the tax reliefs available to them and I think that there is a a challenge here around family businesses not always accessing all of the support that is available to them and that is for many reasons I think the key one is awareness and visibility Mm -hmm. of the support that's available. There's a very kind of complicated business support landscape in this country. And I think that people aren't always aware of the support that's available. But it's also incredibly sometimes administratively burdensome to access and, and the processes you have to go through. So I think that that's probably part of the reason why the number around coronavirus support is around the loan support is quite low. Whereas the furlough support is quite high because that was quite a straightforward process, or at least that was the response and the feedback we got from businesses was that that was quite straightforward to do. Mm. But I think, you know, something like the R and D seems very complicated. So I think what we need to focus on moving forward is making all of the support that's available as visible as possible to businesses, make sure as many of them know about it and are claiming it and that it works as in as straightforward a way as possible so that we can really help businesses to kind of reach their potential. Yeah, and I think a a couple of things on the um, research and development point is that the, the innovation that will have been happening over the recent months is probably going to give rise to more in terms of, sort of qualifying for, for those R&D payments, but, but also being aware that it is, a, it is an incentive. It's not, you're not trying to dodge the system or uh, it's not a scam, you know, one of these scams that's too good to be true kind of thing. And you think, well, hang on a minute. Uh, I, I don't want to 
uh, this is my family's reputation here. I, I don't want to put that at risk. This is a government scheme to encourage this type of stuff. And so, again, as well as improving the, the awareness of it, but making businesses aware that it's something that is there to help drive innovation and research and development is a positive thing. Yeah, and as you know, as a country, we've long said that we need to invest in R&D and many businesses are doing it, but they don't necessarily badge it as R&D. So they aren't, they just think, well, this is what we need to do to survive or to develop this new product. And they aren't necessarily thinking about it in R&D. I think people think R&D has to be incredibly high tech and actually it doesn't. And if it's improving a product or if it's improving the um, processes within your business, there might be a chance that you can apply for that. So I think it's worth looking into mm. if you're doing anything new or different for the first time, think about the R&D side. Yeah, completely. Absolutely agree. And then some, some of the um, other highlights and sort of reasons to be cheerful out of, out of the report, if we can cover a couple of those, perhaps. <laughs> yes. Some reasons to be cheerful. So I think, you know, there's definitely a positive theme within the report, which shows that businesses are, family businesses are ambitious and are still continuing to innovate and think about how to develop new products, how to develop new services, how to train their, train their staff. You know, it, it demonstrates to me that this is still a sector with sort of really fire in its belly these are businesses that really want to continue to grow and build something bigger and better for the next generation. And I think that that is incredibly positive and not necessarily the general perception of family businesses out in the world. And I think that, you know, this is a really important and ambitious sector that understands that its long-term sustainability absolutely relies on innovation. You do not get to be a third generation family business if you haven't changed along the way mm -hmm. so families really understand how important innovation um, and adaption is to them I think one of the other really interesting findings is around the role of women in family businesses and there's obviously been a lot of discussion particularly over recent um, years around the role of women on boards and how you encourage more women into leadership roles encourage and then enable I think is key and the finding within the report is actually very positive so 81% of the uh, family SMEs have a woman uh, in a leadership role and nearly a quarter of family SMEs are women-led and that's far more than non-family firms so family businesses are really leading the way I think on making sure that women are represented in the highest levels of business and I think that's very positive and we certainly see you know particularly among the next generation um, and the now generation as well really inspiring female leaders within the family business community and I think that you know this this community has a huge amount of kind of female talent and those and those women are reaching you know the highest levels within their family businesses and that's really fantastic news yeah it's, it's very encouraging to to see and to hear about and uh, again in terms of people who may be listening to to this who may be in a 
position where they're aspiring to become a female leader of their family business. Again, I'd encourage you to get in touch with um, Fiona and, and the guys at the IFB because it can very often be that speaking to somebody who has been through that process can very much help make your own uh, transition smoother. I hope I haven't spoken out, out of turn by offering people to get in touch there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I know how, how keen you are to, to support these types of things. So we would encourage people to, to do that. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that our members find most valuable about being part of the IFB community is the ability to talk to other people so whether that is the next gen who's struggling with do they want to work in the family business or not whether it is a family member who's become a non-executive for the first time and is trying to work out like the best way to fill that role within their business whether it's actually you know a non-family manager who's come into a leadership role in a family business for the first time and wants to understand all these different dynamics <laughs> at play and how they can navigate it tactfully yeah. and sort of I think that you know being able to talk to other people who've been through the same thing is so important and you know, particularly for the next generation, but not exclusively. And we have, you know, some fantastic female leaders within our business, within our kind of community of businesses who have very, you know, very different roles. Some are chairing their family councils, some are chairing their boards, some are in a management position. And the kind of different way that they are playing a role in that business is it's so useful to talk to others and hear from others as you kind of work out your path through all of these things yeah again completely agree and we've, we've touched on it a little bit there in terms of the support that's available to family businesses through the IFB both now currently during this this current crisis and you know the amount of work that, that you guys are putting in is fan fantastic and, and I'm sure it's been a, a massive help to people but well, there is life beyond um, COVID as well and it's it's not just for, for now in terms of that support that's available so perhaps just give the audience a, an overview of the sort of things that we could expect from uh, the IFB in coming weeks months and years. So as you say we've been very busy this year around all of the COVID side of things but also we you know as a as a membership organization have had to switch all of our <laughs> all of our sort of way of operating to deal with this um, crisis so we've moved our events program entirely online which means that actually it's been very positive because businesses from all over the country have been able to attend more events than maybe they've been able to before when it's meant traveling to Manchester or Edinburgh or London or wherever to, to take part in an event so we have a very busy events program on the 18th of November we're actually partnering with TEDx so TED being the short form sort of talk platform that I'm sure you're all familiar with mm -hmm. we're um, partnering with TEDx on their countdown event which is focusing on climate action and the path to net zero so we have a number of sort of speakers um, taking part in that including Prince William who's going to talk about his his passion for that area but we also then have a, a live session with some experts from the family business community so we have Pentland brands and we have Jude's ice cream there amongst others to talk about sort of their path through sustainability and that's an area we're very interested in and have focused on quite a lot over recent months mm -hmm. um, and as always we're sort of 
focusing on key governance issues around family businesses, around how you manage the governance. We're very interested in the role of non-executive directors and how families can use those and bring them in for the first time. That purpose and resilience piece are really important to us as always. So there's, and of course, the next generation. So there's a huge amount going on on both my side of things, which is more looking at the government affairs, the COVID response, the support that's available, but also things like what is happening around the changing uh, face of taxation. There's a big debate going on around that. And then the sort of family side and the governance side of things, which have always been absolutely core to what we do. Fantastic. Brilliant. And just finally, where can people find out more about the work you're doing and get in touch? So you can find more about us at www.ifb.org.uk. Or you can follow us on Twitter. I think we're at IFB underscore UK. And I think, you know, please do get in touch, email us, call us, whatever it might be, because we're here to help. And we're very happy to support in any way we can. And I will put everything that we have spoken about in the show notes so people will be able to find links and email addresses etc there but for the time being Fiona thank you very much for your time and those insights were fantastic and we'll we'll no doubt speak to you soon thanks very much I hope you found this episode useful if you have then why not share it with your family and see what they think I work with families just like yours to help them to better understand the complexities that can come with being a family in business So whether you're just starting out or heading into the umpteenth generation, if you feel that I could help, check out fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ and get in touch. Until next time, take care.